I'm glad to see you guys are all here, um, and, and welcome to, the, to, to this Sunday morning, the life of worship here at Bridges, uh, Bridges Church. Um, but before we uh, move on, I, I want to just take this time before uh, God and just pray that he uh, intervenes and intercedes uh, this morning as, as I open up the word with you guys. So join, join me as we, as we just go before our Father. Heavenly Father, God, we just pray. God, we just pray that, you, that your presence be made known here. And God, as we, we wrestle with some tough questions, some tough thoughts, God, I, I ask that you bring those answers. That you bring the resolution. That it isn't wit or strategy or human strategy, God, but it's your power, it's your presence that speaks to our hearts. And God, that there might be some of us here in this room who, who, who struggle with doubts. Might even have ill feelings towards you or your church or your people. There might be some of us here in this room, God, who are wrestling with pains and heartache. Maybe even heartache that comes from the from, from lips of your of your people. And Father, I ask that you intervene in all of those. That your power be made known. That your love may be made known. God, that we might experience your grace and understand the depths of your love. Father, I ask that you calm each one of our hearts, that maybe if there's distractions going on, there's things going on in, in our life outside of church, God, that you might just put that at ease. And that in this moment, we might just dwell on you. That we might just grow in you. We might fall deeper in love with you and more passionate to take each step in our life. To follow you. And Father, I pray that you interrupt any agenda that I have that isn't yours. That you steer my words away from anything that you don't want. God, don't let a word come from my mouth that isn't something you want me to say. And God, I ask for a miracle. I ask that as I as I speak. That it's your words that are heard in our hearts. God, don't let me be heard. God, I desperately ask that you speak to us this morning, that you speak to me, and that, that would overflow and that it would speak to each one of us. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the grace that you show us in your and day in, day out. God, we just pray for transformation this morning. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be holy and pleasing to you, Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So, um, thinking about the victims of the fire the, this last few weeks, 
here in California. And I can only imagine maybe some of the questions, some of the heartache uh, that was brought up during that season for so many. Asking questions, people asking questions, questions that I think every mature believer should ask. Questions I hope every single person in this room at some times in their life, even if it's just for a season or for multiple seasons in their life, that they just wrestle with these similar questions. Questions like this, do you hear me, God? Do my prayers actually matter? Does God actually care? Does God actually listen? I'm sure you can visualize people who had prayed, God, don't let my house burn down. And their houses burned down. God, don't, don't let my, my father or my, my mother or my son or my daughter be in the list of names of people who are unaccounted for in the fire. Or you can think broader than it's just one event. God, don't let my, my daughter be on the list of names of people who were shot in the massacre that happened at the concert. And yet the name pops up. You you can imagine in those trying times, difficult times, times of deep pain and hurt and heartache, we ask those tough questions. I prayed, but did God listen? Did God really care? Does God really care? Uh, I remember a few years back, um, I I read a book uh, by a guy named Richard Dawkins, very... um, famous atheist. Um, he wrote a book called uh, the, Devil's, the Devil's Chaplain. And in the book, he, he shares this story about a woman who, who, who she said, I prayed, this is during 9-11, she said, I prayed uh, for safety for my husband because she knew her husband was supposed to be on the flight that, that I think it was, I don't know if it was a flight uh, that hit the Pentagon. I think it was the flight that hit the Pentagon. And crash and hit the Pentagon. And she said, um, I prayed that he would be safe, that his name wasn't on the list of people who died there. And it just so happened that, that something happened. He was delayed and he didn't get on the flight. And for some reason, he couldn't call her. Uh, but but, he, but he, was, he was alive. And the woman prayed saying, oh, God saved my husband. And Dawkins, the, the, the atheist and the antagonist he is, he raises the questions, well, what about the other thousands of people who died? Don't you think there were people who prayed for them? The hard questions. God, do you really listen to our prayers? Do they matter? Why bother praying? I remember when I was at San Diego State University during my undergraduate degree. I, I had a season there in which I completely lost my faith. I was walking home one night after taking a class in which we talked about religion. And I was convinced that God did not exist and I walked. I was walking on an edge. If you're familiar with San Diego State University, it's kind of on a, it's kind of on an edge of a valley in, in, in San Diego. And I was right at the edge, and I was looking over this dark valley. It was nighttime, and I remember praying, God, I don't, I don't know if you're there. In fact, I don't believe you are there. But if you are there, would you do something? Would you speak? Because you're going to lose me if you don't. But in that moment, I remember thinking, does God even listen? Is there even a God to listen? 
Um, Don't think that these are questions the Bible doesn't speak to. Don't think that for a moment. And don't think that these are questions that Christians haven't been asking for 2,000 years. And don't think that Christians don't have good answers to these questions. But I want to pull our attention to two different Psalms, but we're going to start with one. It's Psalm 13. Right, but, but read with me the heartache that, that comes from um, the author of this psalm and the questions, the deep questions that this psalmist asked. Hear the word of God, Psalm 13. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me. Just think about that for a second. Here is a mortal man commanding God. Consider and answer me. That's a command. You got to be bold. To ask a question like that. Maybe even stupid, but bold. Consider and answer me. O Lord, my God, light up my eyes. Least I sleep the sleep of death. Least my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Least my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in you. I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This psalm evokes a deep question. Are you listening? Or will you continue to ignore me forever? Have you forgotten me? Do I matter to you? Does my prayers matter to you? Do they matter at all? It's normal. To wonder these things. It's normal to, to, to feel the tension that this, that this author feels and expresses. Prayer is an incredibly mysterious thing. It's an incredibly mysterious thing. It isn't mechanical at all. Today, we, we are people who we see the world mechanically. We see the world as cause and effect. When we talk about history, we talk about it as cause and effect. When we talk about science, we talk about it as cause and effect. And so when we come to prayer and we hear things like the Bible say, hey, prayer works, we think, okay, there's going to be this cause and effect. I ask a question or I ask something from God and God speaks. He gives, he gives, he answers, he provides. Like a vending machine. We put five quarters when we put a Coca-Cola and then a Coke comes out. And we have this idea that this is how prayer works. Right? And, and if, if I go in and I put five quarters in a vending machine and I push the button and I get a Sprite, something went wrong. But God, but God isn't a vending machine. And if he is, it's like the kind of thing where you put five quarters and you push a soda and instead of getting a, a Coke, a Sprite, or a Powerade, it gives you water. <laughs> For many people, that comes as a big, vast disappointment. But God isn't a machine. It's not about saying the right things to get what you want. It's not about getting the right incantation to make God work a miracle in your life. God is personal. That means God is complicated. 
Prayer is complicated. There's a depth to it, and there's a beauty to it. It's what makes theology, it's what makes theology so rich. God isn't just this machine. It's a little harder to predict, and it is. It's a little harder to understand. But God doesn't leave us in the dark either. While there are mysteries to the mind of God, and I cannot explain it, nor do I understand it perfectly, probably hardly at all, I can't explain how prayer works. I can't explain why it works. I can't explain when I see it working and when I don't and why that is the way that it is. But God gives us examples and truths for us to learn from. He doesn't leave us in the dark wondering. Um, Psalm 13, we read Psalm 13 earlier, and it evokes this question, God, do you hear me? Does God listen to my prayers? Uh, But today, we're we're really going to spend most of our energy reading Psalm 17. And I want you to understand that Psalm 13 wrestles with this question, do you hear me, God? And in a way, it's almost as if Psalm 17 answers the question. Yes, God does. I pray to you because you do listen. But it also, more than that, it gives us a framework of how to think about prayer. It gives us a framework. It gives us some ideas. It gives us some concrete lessons to learn from. But we're going to dive into Psalm 15, so you can just turn over a few chapters uh, to Psalm 17 if you have your Bibles. If not, it's going to be on the screen uh, above me. But this psalm was likely written by David uh, during the rebellion of his son, Absalom. And there's this huge division that broke out, civil war that broke out. Absalom spread a series of lies causing this, this, this bad and ugly situation for David. Eventually, David ends up fleeing Jerusalem because of it. But, but, but this prayer is written during the season, and this prayer is essentially him asking, God, I am inviting your presence into this nasty, messy situation that I find myself in. Now, for the sake of our study, I'm going to ask you to do something. Don't get caught up on the details of the psalm. Don't, when I say that, when I say don't get caught up in the details, I'm saying don't get caught up on the specific requests. You might not be in a situation in your life in which you are feeling like, oh, I have this enemy who's speaking corrupt lies about me and trying to, to, to create a war with me and to kill me. You might not be going through a situation like that. And if you are, I'm sorry. But I want you to understand that I want us to look at the psalm, uh, not focusing on about what he's asking, but I want us to think about why he is asking it and why he is even praying it. Because that's what I want us to learn from most specifically this morning. But let's go ahead and take a look in Psalm 17. Starting at verse 1, hear the word of God. It says, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. Free from your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. I pay attention to this language. Attend to my ear. He is calling for God to listen. Then he says, from your presence, let my vindication come. Right? Um, he doesn't just want vindication. He says, from your presence. He's not just looking for a solution. I said this two weeks ago, that a solution that isn't God's solution isn't a good solution. 
And so he isn't just praying for a solution, he's praying for God's solution. Get that. Now he turns to his attention to himself to give some reason for why God should listen. Take a look. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me. And you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress with regards to the works of man. By the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your path. My feet have not slipped. He says, God, I have been faithful to you. I have been faithful to you. Don't, don't you want to hear me? To listen to me, to aid me. Next, he expresses his trust in God. In verse 6, he says, I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Just absorb what he's saying there. I call upon you because you do listen. You will answer. Not, I call upon you because you're a safe bet. I have a high probability that you're going to do something. It's a certainty. I call upon you because I know you listen. Because you will answer. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O Lord. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. And now he turns to the request itself. That's where I say, don't get caught up in the details of this, but just pay attention to the, to the, to the way he asks. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence. My deadly enemies who surround me, they close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion, eager to tear. As a young lion looking in ambush, arise, O Lord, confront him. Subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord. From men of the world whose portions is, his, is, is in this life. Like what they value is in this world. That's their treasure. Deliver me from the people whose treasure is the world. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children and they have their abundance to their infants. In short, he is, he is asking for God to act in his circumstances against people uh, who, are, who are just surrounded in their love of the world. Against people who are evil. Against people who, whose pride, hope, and treasure is what's right in front of them. To act against people who are godless. And then he closes his prayer, expressing his hope. As for me... I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Now, I think the heart of this prayer is in verse 6. I already dwelt on it a little bit, but let's go right back to it. It says, I call upon you, for you will answer me. Uh, while much of this prayer is about him pouring out his heart and to some extent just expressing this dissatisfaction of his circumstances, 
the heart of this prayer is the confidence that God hears him. The heart of this prayer expresses the confidence that God does listen. Why does he talk about the deeds of evil people or about how he has been pursuing righteousness? Why he's committed to obeying God? Why is he praying about all this stuff if it isn't out of a full confidence that God actually listens? If there's one thing I want us to experience this morning, I want us to experience and to share that same type of confidence as we go before God. I believe you listen, God. I believe you listen, you hear, and you will act. I think this psalm expresses a theme that you see throughout the psalms. And I'll expand that. I think it's a psalm. It's a theme that you see throughout the entire scripture, throughout the Bible. And it's this. You might, once again, feel like this is a simple point. But just think about it. Dwell in it. God wants you to pray to him. God wants you to pray to him. God listens to your prayers. He wants you to pray to him. God acts and responds to your prayers. Scripture is extremely clear about that. God wants you to pray to him. You should have some tension in, in, in which you're wondering, why is it that I don't take prayer more seriously? And if even just that, we pray because God wants us to pray. That alone should cause us tension about why do I not pray more fervently, more seriously, and more often. If you read through the psalm, you, you see that the authors recognize this deep and profound truth. God listens, that God is faithful, and that God acts. In our prayers, we seek a God who listens. That's what we do when we pray. We seek a God who listens. It's an important biblical principle. Um, if you do not believe that, if you do not believe that God hears your prayers or cares about your prayers, understand you don't actually really believe in Christianity at all. You can't. If you don't believe God wants you to praise, you don't, you don't believe in the Bible. It's an important message in the Bible. God hears you. He wants to hear you. He wants you to speak. He wants you to request things. And he's going to do something about it. It's an important message of the Bible. It's an, it's, it's, it's a, it's an essential message of the Bible. Prayers matter. If you don't believe that prayers matter, you think Jesus was wrong. Christianity is married to prayer. It's essential. It might even be, I might even go so far to say it's the purpose of prayer. It's the purpose of Christianity. It's to be in communion, a relationship with God. Essentially what prayer is. Uh, Martin Luther said that um, uh, as air is to breathing, as prayer is for a Christian. It's just a rhythm of who we are. It's an expression of our faith, an an essential expression of our faith. The doctrine of prayer, of communication to God, making the request to God is a part of the lifeblood of Christianity. One of the greatest hopes we have as Christians is this, that that God deeply cares and hears our prayers. 
And I want us to be people who pray with the kind of confidence that the author of this psalm, that David, had when he prayed this psalm. I want us to be able to model this prayer. To have our problems, whatever they are, no matter how great or how small, that we can come to God in the same way that this author does. God, attend to me. Hear me. Listen to me, God. I think there's a number of important biblical principles that we see reflected in the psalm, but also that is, that is reflected throughout the, the scriptures. And that today is what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at three uh, different things about how to pray more effectively. About how to pray more effectively. About how, to, how do we position ourselves so that we have a, a certain kind of confidence that we can pray more effectively. And, and now just as a, as, a, as a fair warning, I like to warn people about this. Um, these principles I'm talking about are from, from longest to shortest. So the first one I'm going to spend a lot of time on. And so if, you, if we get to the end of that and I'm like, well, that's the first principle. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be a two-hour sermon. And no, it won't. Uh, but the first one... Um, we should resolve our sin. Resolve your sin. You want to pray more effectively? Take care of your sin. Um, I, I think there's a reason why David appeals to the fact that he walks in faith. That he tries to walk in faith. Um, certainly he isn't perfect. You can read through Scripture and you can see plenty of things that, that David did wrong. He was far from a good guy. And actually the mess that he's in because that he's writing about in Psalm 17 is largely because of himself. Some errors he made. Uh, but, he, he, but, but what he's really saying here, what he's expressing here is, God, I'm trying to walk in faith. Um, following your laws matter to me. God, I want to be obedient. I'm trying to be obedient. I'm striving to be faithful in every step I take. I'm trying, Lord. I'm wanting to be faithful. That's what's expressed in this, in, in this psalm. That's what he's saying here. He's not saying I'm perfect. He's saying I'm striving. I'm striving to make progress. Why does this matter? Um, why, why does sin matter? And biblically the answer is this. Sin matters to our prayer. There's this relationship between sin and prayer. And the biblical response is this. When we, we rob our prayers of power as long as we are disregarding or ignoring sin. Sin has a way of hindering our words. There's a couple of scriptures. There's a number of scriptures that, that say this very explicitly. But here's a couple. So, uh, Proverbs 28.9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers are an abomination. They're disgusting. They're, they're, they're purposeless. But, but pay attention to that wording because it's very interesting. If you turn away your ear from the law, we know, we know the story of Scripture, but the, the law of God is... Jesus came because no one is able to, to, to perfectly live out the law. And that's why Proverbs isn't saying, um, if you don't perfectly live out the law, uh, then, God's gonna, then, God, then, then your prayers become an abomination. That's not what the prayer is saying. It's when you turn your ear away from it. Like, I want to look the other way. I know what God wants. I know what God says. I know what I should do, but I don't care. Then your words become white noise. Right? Isaiah 115. 
when you spread out your hands right, and worship, we spread out our hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Uh, even at, the, at this time of Israel's life, that, uh, the hands full of blood, that's really just an imagery of sin and disobedience. And that's just true of us today. You don't have to be a murderer for God to not listen. It's sin. God plugs his ears when we just are living in sin. When we just disregard our sin. When we don't think it matters. When we don't think it cares. Now, I think this can be very easily misunderstood. And I don't like, I don't like when there's room for misunderstanding. Um, God, God isn't saying here, the scripture isn't saying here, nor am I saying here, that once you sin, you're done. Once you've sinned, don't bother praying because God isn't going to listen. These passages are dealing with deliberate, planned, intentional sin. These these verses are dealing with those times in which we know God is telling us to do something and we do the opposite. And we're okay with that. We're okay with active disobedience. That, that when we are in these seasons in our life in which we're per- sinning over here, and we're just living and loving the sin over here and not dealing with it, and yet at the same time over here, we're asking for God to do stuff over here. That's what, that's what this is talking about. That we're living in a way that it makes us look like a hypocrite. Now, now we might ask, and we should ask, uh, doesn't this seem a little bit severe? I mean, why does God so severely say, if you pray and, 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 and you're disobedient and you're living and actively living in this disobedience, your prayers become an abomination? Doesn't that sound a little severe? Doesn't that sound a little harsh from a God who's so loving? If he loves you so much, what's wrong with a little sin? Right? That might be a question we ask. What's wrong with a little sin if he loves you so much? Simply put, why does God ignore a request when we sin? And, and, and it's because of this. Um, you want more of God in some of your life, but not all of your life. It's essentially what you're doing when you're living in active sin and praying. That God gives you more stuff. It's you're saying, um, I want you over here, God. I want you to be involved um, in my income, in my relationships, in my health. But I don't want you getting involved with what I do in the dark. I don't want you getting involved with those times in my life in which I should apologize. Or those times in which I'm doing my taxes and lying in my IRS to the IRS. I don't want you getting involved in the, 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 the pride, the times in which I'm a control freak, times in which my anger gets the best of me. I, I don't want you there. I just want you with this stuff. Effectively, you're asking for God to be in some of your life, but not all of your life. I'll take you in some places of my life, but not all of my life. And I think the reality is, It isn't that God is ignoring us out of anger. He isn't so angry at you that you sinned, and now that's it. Now you're in time out. No talking to me for the next 30 days. Um, But ultimately, you don't really want what God has to offer. 
that as long as you hold on to your sin, there's a, there's a reality that you probably really don't want everything that God has to offer. That's the problem about sin. You don't really want more of God, or at least all of God in your life. You're wanting something that he is wanting to let you to let go of. And from time to time, um, I've helped people with uh, just kind of creating budgets. I'm no expert on finances, um, but I've always been a budgeter. I've always thought about budgets. I love Excel. <laughs> I, I make Excel documents for everything, everything you can think of. I'll make an Excel document for it. Um, and over the years, I've, I've helped people kind of write a budget for themselves and kind of figure out, hey, where your expenses are, where your income is. And I remember years and years ago when I was a college student, I was with a friend, and he was saying, hey, you know, I've got to figure out my financial situation here. I'm trying to save up some money. I'm trying to get out of some debt. I'm trying to figure out how to do that. All right. So we sat down, and we first we started with his income. How much are you making? This is back. Minimum wage is like five seventy-five, something like that. And he's like, well, I make about $600 a month. He's a college student. Worked part-time. I'm like, okay. Now let's talk about your expenses. What are your expenses? And he says, well, the biggest one is my car payment, which is about $300. Okay. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a $300 car payment. When you make $600, there's something wrong with a $300 car payment, right? And then he's like, oh, my insurance is about 100 150 And then I like to be able to go out once or twice a week to the movies, get food. I'm like, well, that's about $200. You're already over $600. And he's like, well, I don't, I don't really want to cut back on on this, or I don't really want to sell the car, I don't really want to do this, I don't want to do this, and it's just a series of things that I don't want to do. You're not able to save money as long as you're, as you're spending it. You'll never save a penny if you can't find a place to not spend a penny. Right? It's just math. If you spend every penny, you don't get every penny. Right? And that's where this expression comes from, right? You can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right? You can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want to save, you have to reduce. You have to reduce your, your, your you, have to, you have to be more frugal. You have to monitor where your expenses are. And understand this. Um, every day of your life, there is a spiritual battle going on. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, every single day of your life, there's a spiritual battle going on. And sin is the fuel of the enemy's attack. Sin fundamentally destroys our relationship with God. It's the wedge in which Satan breathes his corruption into our life. If you want less of Satan, and if you want more of God, you have to reduce those areas that leave that open, that leave Satan open to speak his corruption. When we request things in our prayers, we are asking for God's presence and action in our life. And if you're seeking God's presence and action in our life, if you're wanting more of God, then sin has to go. It has to go. You can't have your cake and eat it too. It's like, just like a budget. You want to save money, you've got to get rid of your expenses. If you want a deeper relationship with God, your sin has to go. You cannot actively let disobedience reign in your life if you're wanting God's resolutions in your life. Because God's resolutions for your life, part of what that means is that your sin has to go. You cannot take one without the other. You can't plant a a bed of new flowers in a bed full of weeds. You got to pull out the weeds to make room for better things. 
right? That's, that's essentially what we see in Scripture. And since we all love what to do, we all love the application parts of, of, of points and messages, here it is, James 5.16, what do you do? James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There it is, very explicitly. Confess your sins. Confess them to God. Confess them to one another. You will be made righteous and your powers or your prayer are made powerful. Deal with your sin. Deal with your sin. If you have unresolved or undealt with sin in your life, that is your biggest problem. I don't, I don't you know, it's going to come out a little strong, but I don't care what problems you are in. You may be in a life or death situation, but our biggest problem is always going to be our undealt with sin. You could die and you're going to go spend an eternity in heaven. <laughs> right? Your, your biggest problem is always going to be with those undealt with sins. It's something I remind myself of when I'm in the midst of some kind of crisis. I have some kind of fear or anxiety built up in my life and I'm worried about something, I'm thinking about something, I'm, I see this just hot mess that's going on and the thing I always remind myself of, my sin's my biggest problem. It's always going to be my biggest problem. The prayer God always hears though, and I want you to know this, that when we listen to that passage from Isaiah, from Proverbs, that it talks about it, God doesn't listen to prayers of, of, from, from sin uh, the prayer that God always hears is the prayer of repentance. The prayer that recognizes, I'm wrong, God, and I need your forgiveness. That's the prayer God's always going to hear. That's the prayer God's always going to hear. It's a prayer that God's always eager to hear. Uh, but, but when we, we, we pray for forgiveness, because I want you to understand, God's always going to hear that because that demonstrates to God more than anything else that you really want him. When you can pull out the sin in your life and say, God, I'm sorry. This is wrong. That, that's a big confession to say, God, I really want you in my life. Not just part of you. I want all of you. Because when we're ready to we're lit, let go of that sin, we're really willing to confess that to him, to others. That's when we're showing God, God, I really want your presence in my life. When, when you run from the things that keep your heart distant from God, that's when you demonstrate you really desire him. Sin are the things that keep us distant from God. And so when you make active steps to run from those things, that's a clear message to you, to God, that you really want him. Now, last week I said something, I'm going to restate it. That great change comes when we stop trying to control the things that we don't have power of and we take the things that we do have power of. And there are so many things that we, don't, we do not have control of in our life. So many circumstances in our life we do not have any control of. But your sin is one. Your sin is one. Fight it. Like really fight it. Like aggressively fight it. Like it's the battle of your life. And that's how you speak loud and clear, God, I want you. 
I want you because I don't want this. I don't want this filth. I want you. If you really want more of God, if you really want his resolutions and his solutions, his power and his presence, get rid of the things that make his presence unwelcomed in your life. Those things that are causing your heart to be divided. Get rid of them. Have an undivided attention towards God. And to paint this picture, so there's, you know, we might think of two different types of Christians. You know, we might think of these Christians who kind of live with a mediocre battle against sin. Sure, I know, you know, I mess up. Sure, I, 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 I slip here and there. Sure, I know there might be things that, there are ways in my life in which I'm failing to love. The clearest command that scripture gives to us. Love God, love people. And there might be places in which we kind of are mediocrely trying to, to live that out. Or maybe there's areas of selfishness we know that we have. We're okay with a $1,000 a month payment and giving 20 bucks to the orphans in Africa. There are these places in which we know if I was really eager for God, and if I was really eager to obey God, that there's some probably some more radical changes that I'd make. There's a kind of Christians that are just kind of mediocrely trying to follow God. And then there's a kind of Christian who knows uh, my salvation does not depend on my obedience. And don't mistake anything that I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that your salvation depends on your obedience. But we know that our salvation does not depend on our obedience. But at the same time, we so desperately, we love God, so we so desperately want to fight sin in our life. That we take our sin as a real war. Like a life and death war. We take it, we take it so seriously. We fight it. Right? Those are two types of Christians. And I would say, if you want to be a prayer warrior... Be the latter type. Be that person who's like aggressive, who's actively thinking, what is there, what sin is there in my life? What is this sin I don't know about? What is this sin that I just let go? What is the sin that I just kind of ignore from day to day? What's the sin that maybe other people see or maybe other people don't see? How do I fight this? It's not about salvation. It's about love. It's about love and obedience. It's about really wanting God's presence in your life. Right? If you want to pray more powerfully, be, be that second type of Christian. The one who's aggressive. Who's thirsty to win the spiritual war that takes on, goes on in their life every single day. That's that first principle. Here's the second one. I would say it's very similar. Right, a second thing that we can learn both from this psalm but also throughout Scripture about how to pray more effectively is this. Check your intentions. For you utter a word, check your intentions. And that, that the prayer starts with this. Hear a just cause. It's objectively just. Hear my cause. Make your, uh, make your intentions aligned with God's intentions. If you want God to answer, answer the things you want, then want the things that God wants. That's, that's the simplest way, right? But check your intentions. Why is it that you want it? 
James 4.3 says, You ask, and you do not receive, because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your own passions. And here's what this passage isn't saying. I think one of the best ways to, to, to study the Bible, to think about each passage, is you start with what it is it not say. This passage is not saying, don't ask for things that help you. This is not telling you to never pray for stability, never pray for health, never pray for finances, never pray for a job change. It's not telling you to not pray about stuff. It has no direction about not to pray for stuff. It's entirely about your intentions. This is addressing the selfish and honestly sinful desires in our heart. When we come to God, not for God, but we come to God because of what he offers us. And we want him to offer us things that, are, that delight our selfishness. When we have self-centered, self-glorifying, self-serving, comfortable, pleasurable lives, and we're asking God for more of it. That's what this passage is addressing. That isn't a just cause. It isn't a just cause when, when, we, when we're selfishly wanting more selfish things. That isn't a just cause. <laughs> Oh, we want more good stuff and we want less bad stuff because ultimately we just want more worldly pleasure. We want more comfort. We just want comfort. We don't want God to shake up our life. We don't want more money because we want to do something good with that money. We want more money because, well, we want to be able to afford all the luxuries we have. Um, There's this uh, letter uh, that um, Augustine wrote to a woman named Proba. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if that's actually how you say her name. For Proba, I think it is. But a, but a Latin scholar could, could tell me otherwise. But Proba was a widow. Uh, she was a widow and she wrote Augustine. She was someone in desperate need. Low amount of money. No one to really take care of her or to help her. And she writes to Augustine. And she says, Augustine, how, how do I pray? How do I pray that God hears me? How do I pray that God does act? Because I'm desperate. I need money. I need food. I need help. How do do I pray so that God works? And Augustine says a series of things. It's a brilliant letter. Probably one of my favorite writings of Augustine. And the first thing he says, he says, before you pray, Recognize that there is no amount of pleasure, money, stability, achievements that are going to make you happy. None of it's going to satisfy you. None of it is going to save you. This is actually his exact words. He says, you must account yourself desolate, doomed. In this world, however great your prosperity may be, regardless of how much you have, you're always going to need God. And God is only, God is always only going to be the only thing you ever really need. Nothing out, no matter how great your lot may be, you're always going to be desolate in this world. You will always feel a need as long as you're trying to have other things satisfy what only God can satisfy we all know Michael Phelps, right? Probably the, he is the most decorated Olympian, I believe. 
had 28 medals or something like that, 23 of which are gold medals. You want to follow what happened to him a couple years ago? He came out and expressed suicidal thoughts. Never quite got to the point of actually attempting suicide, but he was expressing very, very deep um, suicidal thoughts. He was, he was very depressed. And when he was asked why, why are you depressed, what's going on, he said, low self-esteem. Are you kidding me? You're the most decorated Olympian that's ever lived, and you have a low self-esteem. <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> and then he talks about how, how he, he encountered this major radical transformation in his life. He encountered the love of Jesus. He was exploring some, some readings and he, and, he, and he encountered the love and the power of Jesus in a very, very personal way. There's something that changed him. It changed what he valued. It changed how he saw himself. He experienced the gospel. But understand, you could be the greatest achiever and still be desolate. And one of the most beautiful things about the internet is that we can kind of explore the lives of, 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 of others. We can look at how the, the rich spend, how, where they spend their lot in life. What do they chase after? You have some of the so-called happiest people in the world facing radical depression. There's something missing. The point is this. That when we get this idea that, that Augustine is speaking to, this truth that the scripture holds, that no matter how great your lot in life is, you are desolate without God. When we get that, when we know that, it changes the way we pray. It changes the way we pray. When you realize that you are hopeless without God and that there is no thing in this world that can change that, it's going to change the way you pray. It will. And all of a sudden, you're praying less about pleasure and you're praying more for God. You care a little bit less, maybe even a lot less about what specific outcomes may be. You're not intent that it has to be this way or I'm going to be pissed at you, God. You get to this place in which you're saying, God, I just want your solution to my problems. I just want your action. I just want to be able to know, God, that whatever comes of this, life or death for myself or for others, that I just know, God, that your hand is in this. And that in the end, I'm going to point to you, God, and I'm going to say, glory to God, that he has been good to me. Right? That, that's the way you're going to start to pray. It's going to change the way you pray. When your intentions are aligned, it's going to change the way you pray. That was the first thing that Augustine writes. And there's, there's a lot of other things that he writes, but that's the first, and I think it's so powerful. There's nothing wrong with praying for financial stability. There's nothing wrong for praying for health. There's nothing wrong for praying for anything like this. It's your intentions that count. Why are you praying for it? If you are praying for God to make you more rich because your intention is to buy a nicer car, to travel to Europe, retire early or whatever, it's time you take Jesus a little more seriously. He had a lot of warning against indulging. He had a lot of warning against people who look to build kingdoms of wealth to live for simple pleasure. 
Why? Why did Jesus have so much warnings about those things? If you pray out of selfish or sinful ambition, know that you're really asking God to contradict himself. You're, God to, you're asking God to contradict yourself. Um, it's going to be impossible for God to give you something that he knows that isn't good for you. And that's why, that's why sinful prayers are never going to be answered. Because God is never going to give you something that, that, that's, going to, that's going to contradict his good plan for you. There is no sin in heaven. Right, there's no sin in heaven because sin is bad. It's bad for you. It's bad for everyone around you. God's perfect plan involves for there to be no sin. No selfishness. So God is never going to answer a prayer like that because you're asking him to contradict himself. He cannot contradict himself. He knows sinful, selfish, greedy ambition is bad for you. It isn't the greatest good for you. Nor is he going to give you something apart from himself. And so sometimes when we pray for something sinful, when we pray for something out of some kind of selfish ambition that's apart from himself, he's never going to answer that. Because he's never going to give you something good apart from himself because there's no such thing. There's no good thing apart from God. Bottom line, God loves you way too much to answer prayers that are selfish, sinful, or greedy. Right? And I would just kind of add to that. You might be asking for something that isn't selfish or greedy. You might be asking for something, but no, God, once again, God's prayer for you is always for your greatest good. And not even just your greatest good, but the greatest good of all. All those who love him. Know that. that that's the heart of God. If you really examine this, you're going to see this is very logical. Getting rid of sin, having that proper motivation, those two things kind of going and working side by side. When those two things are working side by side, when we pray and request things from God, we are essentially asking for God's presence in our life. And the best way to express that, want for God, is to demonstrate in our actions and how we run from sin in our intentions about what we pray for. By fleeing from the things that keep us from God and wanting the things from God that won't distract us from God, we pray more effectively. We pray more effective. Effective prayer is fueled by a life that genuinely wants God. And how we deal with our sins and what, how we check our intentions becomes a monitor about whether or not we genuinely want God in our life. A one for God that is demonstrated in our desires to flee sin and by the intentions of our, player, our prayers. When we make our request to God for health, relationship, finances, for wisdom, for guidance, direction, whatever it is, when those prayers are made, wanting God's presence and action, we have every reason to boldly pray we have every reason to boldly pray, to pray with confidence. God, I come to you with a just cause. And God, I, 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 am, I want to be faithful to you. Show me the sin in my life that distracts me from you. We have every reason to pray with confidence. Because God hears us. 
Because God answers us. Because God acts for us. God will work. We have, we have every reason to pray with the kind of confidence that David prayed in Psalm 17. I pray to you, God, because you will listen. You will listen. And that's the third and final lesson for us. When we pray, pray with confidence and faith. Like the story that, that Tom shared this morning. Right? Don't, don't, don't pray half-heartedly. Don't pray in a way that, that you, 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 you think, well, hopefully God does something, and if he doesn't, then I'll keep, I'll keep my bases loaded. Pray like everything depends on it. Pray like everything depends on it. First uh, John 5.14. This is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Pray believing that God will work. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to do exactly what you want. God is in a vending machine. I started with that. It's believing and recognizing that God will work. That God is going to bring about the greatest end. I said, God's more like a vending machine that you ask for Coke and he's going to give you water. Because that's what you need. All right, let's be honest. Pray believing that God is going to work. He's going to give you what you need. In the end, you're going to glorify him for it. This essentially means that you believe and trust that God will work to resolve the crisis, the fear, and the anxiety you have. That you can let go of that. That you can trust, I'm not in control, you are. does not mean that you trust God and that God is going to actually do what you want. He's going to do what's right for you. He's going to do what's best for you. It means you you pray in a way that you trust it, and you pray in a way that depends on him. They said, pray as if everything depends on him. Real faith in God, real confidence in Scripture, and, and hope in Jesus will be best demonstrated by a life of prayer. A confident prayer. A bold prayer. Praying, believing, and trusting that prayer is what makes the difference. Prayer is what makes the difference. Pray asking for God's presence, inviting his action is the best action you can take to whatever burden you have. Do you depend on God with the things you pray for? I often say this, that you know, one of the right ways to pray, even one of the right ways to live, is to pray in such a way um, that if God doesn't come through, you're going to look like an idiot. Live in such a way that, that, if, that if God doesn't come through, you're going to look like an idiot. I mean, because that, that's bold prayer. And, and let God deal with it how he wants to deal with it and be okay with that. But I ask you, do you depend on God with the things you pray for? I think sometimes we like to give safe prayers, right? We like to give safe prayers. We like to pray things that whether or not God answers it or not, whether or not God does anything with it or not, that's all right. But I would say, bet on God. Live in such a way that you're betting on God. Pray to God, trusting that the problem is in his hands. 
The solution is in his hands. The burden is on him. It's up to him. Um, Pray the words of the psalm. I call upon you for you will answer me. Pray, Pray with that heart. I call upon you because you will answer me. I know, I know you, God. I know you. Pray because God listens. Pray because he wants you to pray. And pray because you, you trust him. I'm going to uh, invite that. We're right at the closing here, but I'm going to invite the band back up. And I'm going to ask you, as we, as we just go before God in this time of worship, just in this time of prayer and this time of worship, I want you to identify what are the things you are most worried about in your life. What are those burdens? What are those struggles? What are those fears, the anxieties, the pains? What, what are the things you want God to do? Where is it you want God's presence? Where is it do you want God to work in your life? And maybe you need to ask yourself, are there sins in my life that need to go? Are there sins in their life that, 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 that I need to go to God before? That you need to confess to maybe a brother or a sister? Or maybe you need, to, you need to check those intentions. Why is it you're praying for that? Why is it that you want that change in job or that financial change or this relationship healing or mending or whatever it is? Why is it that that's what you're praying for? What's your intention? I said the best way to get what you want from God is that you make what you want what he wants. Is my heart right to want this? Is this a just cause to go before God? Is this something that's rooted in love? Is my aim to glorify God, to serve God in this? And then boldly pray. Boldly pray. I call upon you for you will answer me. Work through that this morning as the band comes up here. We pray for us. Father, we come before you, God. And I just ask, God, that you just speak in our hearts. You speak in our hearts in the ways that I failed this morning, God, and the words that I failed to say, and the places that I've misspoken, God, that you speak to our hearts then you will be heard. God, just let us dwell, let us think, let us recognize what is the sin that we need to address. What are those ambitions that we need to, we need to monitor? God, what are the intentions that are misplaced And God, I just ask that this morning we just recognize as a community that we feel it, that we experience it, that we are desolate without you. We are in deep need of you and that there is nothing in this world that's going to change that. God, help us to experience that, that the circumstances of our life will not save us, God. You and you alone have the capacity to save us to heal us, to strengthen us, to give us a life of hope and joy. You and you alone, Father, 
are capable of that. Help that to be something we embrace this morning as we come before you. God, as people who are desperately wanting you in their life. Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace and your patience with us. And we just ask that you just mold us this week. You speak to us today and that that just overflows into our week. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.